Hey guys, welcome back to the Mets Legends cast. I'm Rob Pearsall, starring today as 2002 New York Met great Mo Vaughn, and I am joined by the player that he was traded for, Michael Jennings, starring as Kevin Apier. What's going on today, Kevin? You know, um, it's funny you said Kevin Apier because I was just looking at his baseball reference page. Um, you know, just just don't mind me, second highest war on the team in 2001 at 3.4. It's pretty pathetic, honestly. Um, but, hey, happy to be here as always. Uh, I'm Kevin Apier. <laughs> I mean, Apier was low-key kind of good. Like you said, he led the team in war. I mean, that team was really bad. Or yeah. what was that, 01? They weren't really bad, but they also, coming off of 99 and 2000, they weren't good. Um, yeah. But Mo Vaughn was also not good. So, I, <laughs> kind of a wash. Yeah. yeah. But they had some weird, like, war leaders uh, earlier in the decade, earlier in, like, the century. I think Jay So led the team in war in, like, 2003. And that's just pretty sad. Well, he actually had like a, a very solid season that year. Um, well, I guess at, at 3.1 war as a starting pitcher, that's like Dece. I don't know. I would take that. I mean, but when that's leading your rotation, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. But I'll, I'll always love Jay. So before this podcast, we were on Twitter Mike was yelling at me because I didn't get onto the podcast because I was too busy tweeting about Rick Porcello. <laughs> I, love, I love me some Rick Porcello. Yeah, good, uh, great timing by by our friend Ryan Finkelstein there. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he always keeps us in mind, which is great. Ryan's a good dude. But Rick Porcello, man, uh, I just can't believe he never picked up with another team. But funny enough, Michael Conforto, like I know we've talked about it, but I really, really just can't believe that no team picked him up. And I keep saying it. I'm sorry for beating a dead horse, but it's just amazing to me that no team even wanted to take a flyer on him. Um, and then you saw yesterday, I don't know how, how valid it is, but Robert Murray from The Athletic was saying that the Long Island Ducks had reached out yeah. to him. And it's just like, I can't even believe that. Like, I didn't even realize, not that, I mean, not that that's necessarily saying he's going to go sign there, but because I don't think he will, but mm. I don't know, man. That's like a, a guys that are that are on the cusp of like professional baseball that are that are going to go to Long Island. So I don't know. It's just crazy stuff. Yeah, I also did see uh, that Julio Tehran signed with the uh, Staten Island Ferry Hawks today, um, which is kind of interesting tidbit. But yeah, I mean, that's the kind of person who does sign for an independent league team, someone who had a career in, in major league baseball and is at the twilight of it and still trying to just play the game a little bit. Um, but I think, I think I'm not as surprised as others. I mean, I'm definitely surprised by the situation that nobody signed Conforto, but I really think it's like, uh, I think it was Dallas Keuchel who was like uh, still like a very viable, good free agent um, that nobody signed because he had health issues. He had a draft pick uh, attached to him. And then he got signed in like June or July um, after that sort of compens uh, compensation pick expires or whatever, like whatever happened to the point where, uh, you know, that that pick was no longer associated with Keiko. 
um, he went and signed somewhere. I think the same thing is going to happen with Michael Conforto. I think he's going to sign midseason somewhere, and um, and who knows how long it'll take for him to like get up to game speed. But at this point, as a position player, like wouldn't you consider signing for like an indie league team just to get some games under your belt and stay fresh? I don't know. I mean, it's different with him because Scott Boris is his agent, and I guess Boris is still holding out hope that a team because we're still in the first month of the season, but maybe that a team has an injury and they signed Conforto. Um, but the thing is, it's like, who really knows how severe this shoulder issue that he has is, I mean, he had yeah. that, he had that issue. I think that was 20, I want to say it was 2017 where he was swinging on that pitch and he just like crumbled to the ground. He hurt his shoulder. He like tore that. I think it was the anterior capsule That's in his right. shoulder, which was like yeah. that weird freak injury. But um so who knows if that's something that's been aggravated or what, but it's sad because I love Michael Conforto. He's not a guy that I ever really, uh, I think some fans really put these unfair expectations on him of that. He was mm-hmm. going to be the next Mike Trout. And like when he didn't live up to that, which 98% of players don't live up to that, like superstar. 99.9. There's only one yeah. Mike Trout. Like, come on. Man. Yeah. Well, that's true. But, you know, and it's like, I understand, like, having high expectations, but the guy was still a really good Met in this time in Queens, and uh, I would have really liked to see things turn out differently, but I hope that he picks up somewhere. Um, Also, as we're recording this, this is uh, Thursday afternoon, uh, Mets are playing the Giants. Francisco Lindor just hit a home run. Um, Cookie Carrasco had a good first inning, so hopefully the Mets can take three out of four here. But, uh, Mike, I wanted to bring up to you because I thought it was an interesting thing that I learned. Mm. Who do you think leads the Mets and wins above replacement right now? Currently, the season? at the moment. Offensive, offensive player. Ooh, okay. Um, that's an interesting question because you got to take into account games played at this point. So that, that kind of eliminates, despite them getting off to a hot start, takes Nimmo and Canna off the table. Um. I would have to say it's either Francisco Lindor or Eduardo Escobar. And I'm going to go with Which, Lindor. So it was actually Escobar. Oh, damn. Actually Escobar. Good, good guess though. Um, you know, the fact that, I mean, he's gotten off to such a good start and yeah. uh, he's looking really comfortable at the plate. He's looked good in the field. Um, he's, I mean, he's a guy who has historically had a really low on base percentage. Um and not that that's the be all end all, but you're seeing that he is having really good disciplined plate appearances. He's walked a lot. He's already like approaching yeah. all of his walks that he had from last year, I think. Wow. Um, and he's just having these really good at bats and that's really looking like a shrewd signing uh, right off the bat. I mean, obviously it's still early. It, hopefully it's not a fluke, um, but it, this signing kind of really reminded me because what was the, what was the, amount of money that he got we got uh, a, yeah, a, i don't know it was, a it was like a two-year deal um i want to say somewhere in like the 20 million dollar range or something like that yeah it was either 20 million it wasn't 20 million aav was it like they didn't do a two-year 40 million year deal did they no i think it was like two years 10 million annually okay so i mean yeah i think escobar he's been a doubles machine um, that's why I thought of him because I think his OPS is like pretty through the roof right now. Um, 
and that's great. And I really wonder, like, who is it in the Mets clubhouse who is having this effect on free swingers? Because, I, I mean, when you said that, he, you know, that he's had, like, a historically low on base percentage, it, it immediately made me think of Javi Baez's tenure as a Met, where he had the highest walk rate um, of his career with the Mets um, during that stretch from the trade deadline last season. So, like, I wonder who it is that is having this effect on guys having more um, more selective at-bats who have been historically free swingers. I think that if anyone's listening to this, Nate, and I'm incorrect on this, I think that you're you're probably getting some info fed to you from the analytics department. So yeah. someone like Ben Zosmer might have gave the front office a tip as to um, maybe he liked something in Eduardo Escobar that he thought that he could he could fix or that if he added another element to his game, he could be really productive. So it could have been something like that. Or I think that even though Hugh Quattlebaum is gone and is not the hitting coach anymore, he's still in the organization. And I think that he could be behind some of those philosophies mm. as well. Um, and it would make sense too, because Javi Baez came over and Quattlebaum was the uh, hitting coach at that point. Um, so it, it's guys like that, you know, they have more guys that are like offensively driven coaches kind of behind the scenes that, I don't know. I mean, maybe the Eduardo Escobar, they were just like, if you have, if you try to be more disciplined at the plate, you're going to get better pitches to hit. You'll walk more, you'll be more productive. And maybe he just took it and ran with it. Um, but it also, maybe it was something that like, even before he was in the Mets organization, like he played with who last year, Milwaukee to end the season. So it could have been someone. Arizona too. Yeah. Yeah. Could have been someone in that, in the Milwaukee organization, maybe the Arizona organization that he kind of just transferred over, but if he can continue being productive like this, I think that's going to be a great, great signing for the Mets. Um, and I've, I've really liked watching him so far. I think he's been great. And so uh, it reminded me a lot of like the Asdrubal Cabrera signing where mm -hmm. you were getting this pretty solid infielder for not pro. too expensive and coming over here. And Cabrera had a good career with the Mets and hopefully Escobar does too. But I thought it was an interesting anecdote because um, I think that, Lindor's had such a good season he's that that shouldn't be overlooked and you know Nimmo and Pete Alonso are always going to be your big offensive contributors Starling Marte um for the most part has looked good minus last night he had some sort of gaffe right I didn't get a chance to watch the game but I don't know exactly what happened he just got yeah he got caught stealing with two outs um sort of ended a little bit of a rally but the Mets ended up rallying in the next inning too I I, I missed a lot of the game as well but uh, I did see I did see him get caught stealing, um, and it was you know it was just a it was a really good throw and honestly a really good tag by Crawford. Throw was a little high, um, but it was on the money enough that um, that Crawford could put down the tag. I don't blame Marte for stealing in that situation either, because um, Bart has had some defensive issues, and I think he was just really trying to push the envelope there. Um, so I mean whatever. Um, that's that comes with the territory of stealing bases of being aggressive on the base paths. Sometimes you run out of innings, but uh, I'm, I've been super impressed with Marte. Um, and just to, just to round out the, the conversation around Eduardo Escobar too. <laughs> one thing that I, I wanted to put out there is that he, 
you know, I, I'm not having heart palpitations on ground balls to third base anymore, which is great. Um, like you said, he's been like solid in the field, nothing spectacular, but, um, but just like, just a solid, solid player. And I think that he's a good player on a short-term deal too, um, because you have Brett Beatty, obviously, who's going to probably be up maybe later this year or definitely next year. Um, and then Mark Vientos, I mean, he, I guess, is a third baseman technically. I don't think he's going to profile as one forever. Um, he'll probably be a guy that you see DH a lot. Um, and uh, he'll be up too at some point. I think that you'll probably see him up this year too. He just has such a good bat. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, Eduardo Escobar has been a good pickup so far. Um, but kind of looking at that, the Mets are – uh, in the fourth game of this four game series now. And, um, you know, they take three out of four from the giants. I think that's more than anyone could have expected. I think going into the series, I really just wanted them to split. And then they did that on Tuesday night or Tuesday all day, rather playing a double header, winning both legs of that, which is always tough, especially now that nine inning double headers are back. And the first game went into the 10th inning, but it was two really exciting games. Uh, Tyler McGill didn't really have it. It was a chilly, windy, kind of damp day outside New York, and his velocity was kind of down. But he kept the Mets in the game. I mean, he stuck it out. He adjusted, um, and the Mets won. And then Max Scherzer was just in vintage, vintage form on Tuesday night. So really good day there, uh, minus you know the loss yesterday was a little deflating or whatever. But it happens. It wasn't like a. It wasn't like a like astronomically bad loss. It was just kind of a normal loss, but um, if they could take three out of four from this series and then go into Arizona and take two out of three, I mean, they're going to be in good shape, but um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on uh, the double header on Tuesday and um, kind of going forward, your outlook on them playing the diamondbacks and the Cardinals before they come back home? Yeah. I mean, um, I think it's really, I think it's really encouraging to see, you know, a, a doubleheader sweep against one of what, what I consider to be one of the best teams uh, in the National League. Um, you know, the Giants, they play a brand of baseball that I really like, except for when they play my team, you know. Um, they, they're super aggressive, very, uh, you know, very fundamental, uh, good fundies baseball, um, as Keith Hernandez would like to say. And um, and they and they're pretty ruthless too when it comes to um, as we've seen so far, kind of pouring it on when they're when they're ahead, uh, when they have the opportunity to. So um, you know to take to take two games immediately uh, on Tuesday, and to have Tyler McGill respond to you know a, when a day when he didn't have his best stuff um in the way that he did you know that's that's super encouraging to see I think I mentioned it uh either last week or the week before when we were you know waxing lyrical about Tyler McGill's uh performances so far he's been spectacular and you know when he's not spectacular how does he respond to that and it it looked like he was pretty immediately um able to make an adjustment and and really fight through those innings uh, on a day that the Mets needed him to on a doubleheader day, you know, that, that really can strain the bullpen. If you have to come out of a game early, uh, he didn't. So, you know, huge credit to him to be able to, to gut out a performance that wasn't his best 
Um, and that's the kind of thing that you love to see from a young pitcher. So hopefully he can take that, continue doing that in, uh, in appearances moving forward and going into, you know, their, their next series. Now today's a getaway day. Uh, honestly, whatever happens in this game, I'm happy with the result of taking two out of four from, like I said, one of the best teams in the national league. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked about it moving forward. It's all about winning series. You know, uh, Mets have won every series they've played so far. And if they tie this four game series, I'm fine with that too. So yeah, it's great. Um, things are looking good in Mets land. Yeah. And kind of um, going back to what you said about McGill, uh, one thing to monitor with him, I think will be his velocity. Um, hopefully it was just the cold weather. It didn't look to have affected Alex Cobb as much his opponent, but um, San Francisco has some cold nights too. So it might've just been something he was a little bit more accustomed to. Um, but McGill, his velocity, which had gone up to like 99 at times, um, he was kind of down in the 94 to 96 range. So hopefully you'll see a little bit of an uptick in the velocity. The next time he goes out there, he's supposed to pitch again in Arizona. I'm assuming um, we have, there's Carrasco going today. And then tomorrow, I think the opener will be David Peterson. And then it'll go back to McGill, I guess. Well, yeah, I don't know. What you have. Because there was a doubleheader on, on Tuesday. so. Yeah, I don't know. The Mets might have to put together a bullpen day, I guess, since, yeah. I, since McGill was – because I think he would be scheduled to start on full rest come Saturday, right? Sun, Sunday, I Sunday, think. Sunday, yeah. No but way. Then you also, but then you also have Scherzer right? on, on. Yeah, because then you also have Scherzer on full rest. So I don't know. The doubleheader kind of makes that stuff weird. Um, yeah, they might have to like adjust. Taiwan Walker pitched, I think, uh, a rehab like simulated game. So yeah. I don't know if he'll be back, but maybe he's someone who you look to to maybe come back early. I don't know what the timeline on, is on him. I don't know. He'll need some more time. Um, but beyond that, I don't know triple a like who would really be an option like maybe Japuki, yeah. yeah um and or they could do a bullpen game it's against the Diamondbacks, so um but uh the, the rotation's been great so far the bullpens actually looked really good this series mm-hmm. specifically um you know mcgill came out after i want to say six innings on the game one or mm-hmm. seven, it could have been seven. I don't really remember, but no, the bullpen. It seven. Yeah, it was, it was it was six, and then they played the the extra inning. So Joely Rodriguez has looked like he's bounced back the bounced back a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, Trevor May looked good the other night, um, and Chasen Shreve has been a really good minor league pickup. Um, so the bullpen, you know, knock on wood, looking good. The rotation has had a little bit of a hiccups this series, but. Overall, you know, they're playing a good Giants team that's pesky and poking uh, hits through the holes and everything. So I'm um, looking forward to the Diamondback series. And, you know, they could take two out of three and maybe steal one of those games in St. Louis. You know, I think that's a decent road trip. Yeah, um, totally. But other than that, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to mention to you. I feel like I had to tell you something and now I can't remember. Um. Well, in the meantime, um, you know, kind of looking ahead on the schedule, the Mets, like you said, have Arizona and St. Louis coming uh, coming up and then Philly back home the following weekend. So I think as long as 
as long as the Mets are winning series, uh, you know, that's kind of all that matters to me. Um, so, you know, you're always hoping to take two out of three. Um, and it would be great. I think, I think it would be a great, um, additional step in the right direction if the Mets were able to go into St. Louis and take two out of three, because that's another really good team too. I think people are kind of sleeping on the Cardinals because uh, they haven't been quite so good lately. Um, last year, they had that incredible stretch. They won like a bunch of games in a row. I don't remember quite how many, but um, you know, they, they have a really good young team and I think they're going to continue to, to show that they're one of the better teams in the national league. And I think they could honestly contend with the Brewers in the central in the central um, a, that's definitely a, a division that's up for grabs. So if you can go in there and take two out of three, uh, that would be just yet again, another great sign. Absolutely. Um, and I think that the Mets doing all this without Jacob deGrom, um, would be super important and they could just, uh, stay afloat, you know, until he comes back and they have more than enough talent to stay afloat and even do better than that. Um, but before we go, do you want to remember some guys? If you don't have any other concluding thoughts, it sounds like you wanted to say something. Yeah, one last concluding thought was about Chris Bassett's day uh, yesterday. Um, one thing that I've noticed about this Giants team is they are, uh, you know, definitely going to, you know, be pesky to teams and have a lot of um, have a lot of like bleeders and bloops fall in for hits, and they're going to take advantage of that. I think I, I remember looking back at one point and trying to reflect on it. They had like eight hits and five runs against him. And to me, it seemed like five of those eight hits were either shift beaters or bloopers that just fell it like fell between, you know, second base and right field or, or shortstop and left field or, or, you know, Bermuda triangle kind of hits. So um, although the numbers were a bit gaudy for Bassett yesterday, and he didn't definitely did not have his best stuff. Um, I think, I think it was just one of those things. Like it's, it's been, it's been cold out there like all week. Right. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't look too into uh, Bassett's struggles yesterday. I think he's going to be just fine. Yeah. And I really like the Bassett pickup. Um, Adam Aller, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Oler Aller um, has been pitching pretty well for the, for the A's. Um, so that was a good pickup for them, a team that's kind of rebuilding and, um, you know, probably isn't going to compete anytime soon. Have you seen their like attendance rate? It's dreadful. I think it's like a full blown boycott. Like I, I would be interested to see like, you know, what's, what's the feeling in A's land in Oakland. It's, um, it's really sad to see. It's like, it's like major league levels of lack of attendance. <laughs> um the movie major league that is so uh i really hope they stay in oakland you know what i mean i think there's a lot of talk about them moving to vegas or something and i think as much as vegas is like very much like a legitimate city where real people do live there i just don't i hate the idea of professional sports teams being in vegas i hate the golden knights i hate the raiders and what I, I just I don't know I don't like Vegas as a city I guess and I would hate for a franchise like the A's who have been around for so long to kind of tuck tail and and go somewhere where you know profits will just be huge I hate that I hate that 
it must really suck. Um, I think major league is a really good comparison. Uh, I mean, that A's team like legitimately just blew it up like more so than like kind of any other team I've seen. Like, I guess the Reds kind of did it too, but like the Reds, I don't know. Joey Votto's having a bad year. He's kind of like the only one. No, that's not true. Cause they also have Luis Castillo still. And, um, like Tyler Molle, who are good, but the A's are just like, uh, they, they blew it all up. Um, I mean, yeah. Sean Murphy is like their most well-known player at this point, I guess. Like, I mean, they have, they got some good prospects back for Matt Olson. Um, speaking of Eduardo Escobar, he just went yard. So the Mets just took the lead again, two to one, two top um, war, uh, guys yeah. for the Mets so far going deep. Love to see that. They, and that's Escobar's first home run as a Met. And he's on my uh, fantasy team. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. Good, good, uh, good at bat from Escobar. Um, I mean, just early attacking, just drove that ball right over into the Coca-Cola corner. Um, Take that, Jack Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Ramsey, if you're listening, we have information that will lead to your arrest. Uh, <laughs> I say that because uh, I'm I'm against him in in fantasy this week. So I. So I was down. So we're me and Mike are, or I should say Mike and I are in a fantasy league um, with some other people um, from some mesmerized folks and a couple of my other, a couple of our other friends. And um, I was playing our friends to teach last week and he was like negative 20 points yes. at one point and he came <laughs> back and beat me. So did he end up having the, the most points in the league? It was either him week. or Teddy. Yeah, I can't remember um, who ended up having the most, but but Satish came back and, and beat me. I so I'm in a fantasy league besides this one that I've I've had for 10 years, and I think this is my 10th season. I have so many pitchers on the IL right now. Mm. Like it's great. I have Hyunjin Ryu on the IL, mm. Casey Mize, uh Sonny Gray, Jacob deGrom, Lance McCullers, and someone else like on the IL. It's like absolutely bonkers. Um, so I was like, I like, I think I dropped Casey Mize because I was like, he has a, he has like some like elbow issue or something like that. So I don't know if he's oh, even going to pitch sucks. again this year. No, yeah. I hate that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it sucks for him. He's the first overall pick a few years ago. Um, but anyway, just getting off track a little bit. The A's, I mean, you know, they have some good players like in their pipeline, but it's just, dis- it's disappointing. And it must be, it's so shady to be that. Uh, that's a fan of that team right now because yeah. like they're they're talking about moving potentially and the attendance is way down they've done nothing to inspire that they want to feel the winning team so I, I really feel for the A's fans yeah especially I mean I remember seeing just like around Twitter uh, I can't remember if it was like the Chapman trade or the Olsen trade uh, like officially went down during like A's fan fest at the stadium so you had like you had the fans there trying to build some sort of excitement for this season after the A's have been so solid for the past you know few years. Uh, you know the A's are going to A's they're going to retool and revamp and be semi competitive, um, but not quite fully complete. Um, you know in a couple of years that's just what they do. So. Oh, it really sucked to see the like the reactions of those A's fans who were like, "Yep." this is what we do, you know, don't get too attached uh, to anybody. Uh, that just, that's just got to be one of the worst feelings as a fan to see guys that are developed like Matt Olson and Matt Chapman, uh, who become these like studs of, of guys in the league to just then be 
be traded for other guys. Um, it just, I hate to see it. They made up pretty good on that. Uh, I want to say they made up pretty well on that uh, Matt Olson trade. Yeah. They got, you know, Christian Pache and uh, that pitching prospect, Ryan Cusick. Uh, and I believe they also got uh, Shea Langoliers, uh, mm-hmm. who I think is a catcher. And I think he's like their number one prospect. But yeah, and credit, it's like credit a- to Pache as well. He's been really like, you know, he's embraced it all. I think he had a really, he had like a really interesting tweet um, the other day I saw where he said, he basically said, um, you know, he said something about being excited about playing in Oakland. And uh, someone said, yeah, in front of like 400 fans or something snarky like that. He's like, honestly, it's about quantity over quality. Like if there's one person in the stands, I don't care. I'm going to play my heart out for that one person. Um, and that's just the stuff that you love to see, like good for Pache, who I, if I remember correctly, was like sad to leave Atlanta. I think he really liked it there. Um, but has just taken a full, full approach to embrace Oakland. And, you know, it might be, it might be a losing effort, uh, to try and like garner some, some love, but, uh, for the team again, because it's, it's tough times out there in Oakland. Yeah, he was really bummed about getting traded from the Braves. I remember, like, he tweeted where he was like, I'm really sad to be traded. But mm-hmm. um, you got to respect a player who's, like, going to at least try to give the fans something to come see. Like, you know, if there's any kind of silver lining in, like, a small – like, a, a season where you're, you're not going to be playing well and you know they're not going to compete. At least, you you know, having a guy like Pache who does have a lot of potential, he's a really good fielder from what I understand. He's really mm-hmm. fast. So it gives the fans at least like something to look forward to when they go to the, the Oakland Coliseum. Um, but it's like, you think about the will ponds and like how bad they were, but like, I don't know, man, the A's are like, like that, but like way worse too, because, <laughs> you know, and I mean like they, they've developed so much good talent over the years, but it's like, you know, I mean, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, you know, those were all like homegrown guys. Um, and I'm sure they'll continue to develop homegrown guys, but then just knowing that they're just going to get traded after all that is like the worst, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So do you want to remember some guys before we go? I do. Um, and I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up Kevin Apier um, because I was looking at, like I said, the, the 2001 Mets. Oh, my computer's being very slow. Um had someone in mind but i can't remember why don't you start all right um uh, mike bordick mike bordick mike is bordick. a classic we love traded him. for traded for melvin mora absolutely terrible trade um melvin mora went on to have some really good years with oakland and i'm sorry with baltimore uh we were talking about they had them on the mind but uh uh, Mets also just scored another run on a Tomas Nito sacrifice fly. So it's three to one Mets. Um, but Mike Bordick, yeah, 2000 Met got from Baltimore and then left via free agency to sign back with Baltimore after he left the Mets. So Mike Bordick, I hope you're having a particularly bad day. <laughs> um, I am going to go with a little bit more of, of a favorite. Maybe he's a favorite. I don't know how people really feel about this guy, but I know I liked him. Um, just a, a classic Mets legend, Joe McEwing, um, you know, just a, a jack of all trades, uh, you know, spent quite a bit of time with the Mets in the early two thousands and just did whatever was asked of him. 
So Joe McEwing, I hope you're having a good day. Love me. I love me some super Joe. Um, funny enough traded or the Mets acquired him for Jesse or Roscoe, which is like <laughs> such a weird like thing. Like they had re-signed a Roscoe in like 2000 or whatever that was. And then they traded him before the season started for McEwing, um, which is so strange. But yeah, I love Super Joe, man. He was awesome, and I, I know he was really close with David Wright too. So um, he seemed like a good clubhouse guy for sure. Yeah, like your prototypical glue guy. Um, played everywhere. Like, it, was there? Did he play all eight outfield positions at one point? Because didn't he catch at some point? <clears throat> yeah, I think he was probably like he was probably like the like the backup catcher, like the reserve catcher if there was an injury or something. Yeah, like, I kind of remember that being a thing. But he, yeah, he could play all over the diamond. He was like your like real typical like gritty, all over the field type guy. Yeah, Joe McEwing, love you, dude. Love you, Joe McEwing. <laughs> all right, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. All right, let's go, man. LFGM. <laughs>